0: It's time for episode 75 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February 18, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes.
1: Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that flies like an arrow. I'm your co host, Dan Morin, and across the country from me, as always, is my co host, Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Dan. How's it going? Not bad. Can you believe we've been doing this for 75 years now? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes, I can. We have, as always, two lovely guests. To my left is a freelance writer extraordinaire, Mr. Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hello, fruit flies like an apple. I know you were waiting for the punchline. I was.
0: Thank you. Thank you for delivering exactly as I expected you to. And to my left, you heard the laugh, you know who it is. It is iMore's very own Georgia Dow. Hello. Hello. Well, let's start off with the first of our four topics today, which comes from me. Um, There's
1: been a lot written this week about Apple working on cars. Uh, A lot of rumor, a lot of speculation. Is Apple building a car? Is Apple doing other car-related things? Uh, there's been cars spotted driving around Northern California that may have gear on them and seem to be connected in some way with Apple, but nobody really knows what's going on. So I want to know, what do you think's going on,
2: Glenn? Well, I don't think Apple is silly enough to get involved in a business like the automotive business of making cars. And even with the short-term success of Tesla, which still has a long road, sorry, long road to go to prove itself. Uh, I mean, Tesla... Is, Tesla is the Apple of automotives, right? We all agree on that. I think that they they created their own factories. They do uh, vertical integration across what they're making. They've blown up everything they can to make a car that they think is the best car that could be made. And by the way, it actually uses, uh, you know, it could change the way the the, f- the future of driving because it's all electric and blah, blah, blah. So that, like Tesla is the model. It already exists. But Apple, it's not that they don't take risks. They go into markets where they have an opportunity to do something different and make a high margin. They don't go into low margin businesses. And while Tesla has captured... Uh, you know, ultimately, Tesla has to actually make a large profit to make the margins that they probably will from selling their high-performance vehicles, and I, I'm not sure that case has been made at all. So I look at this like the grocery store business. This is what you know. Amazon is the grocery store, you know, Walmart competitor. Apple is the BMW uh, or you know other high-end business, the high-touch business competitor, which is why it's getting into watches because people will pay a price for a watch that's totally out of proportion to its actual utilitarian value. I don't think, I mean, that is the case for cars, but I think getting into the car business distorts the ability for them to extract that kind of outsized profit and produce something uh, unique. Now, what I would say, though, is Apple has the money. I'm sure they're building cars. I'm sure they're testing stuff out and tearing (laughs) things apart. And maybe they might be building cars from scratch that cost millions of dollars to make one of to test. That would not surprise me the least because they want to understand what they're getting into with CarPlay and other industries and how they integrate into it, but but I don't think they're going to actually make anything like a mass-produced car.
0: I I don't want to I, I I don't want to go quite as far as Glenn. I, I I agree with Glenn completely. I think they are testing things because why not? And I think they're interested in the car in general as a place to go. And I think CarPlay is, uh, I, I think I heard somebody liken it to the Motorola Rocker a while ago, that car, yeah. CarPlay is like the uh, dip in your toe in, but you're, you're like kind of Apple's Apple's experience is mixed in with like stuff they can't control. I Apple's got a lot of money. They are used to making uh, premium products, so I think what we were talking about here is probably more like a, a, a luxury car than a uh, car that's for absolutely everybody, although Tesla, you could argue, is very very much in that space, too. They're starting out really expensive and slowly coming down. I think it is not uh, it is not unreasonable to think that, that Apple is intrigued by the idea that the auto industry might be changing dramatically in the next 20 years and that, that the companies that are going to succeed in a world of electric cars with automatic driving assist, in, in other words, high-tech products that are driven by a fusion of hardware and software, are going to be new companies and that the old companies are going to struggle because they are burdened by this old... Old school, hundred year old auto industry stuff. And if Apple believes that and they don't want to just like buy Tesla or Tesla's not for sale, then. Uh, you know, maybe you investigate that and think, look, if if, if it's going to be new companies that dominate the auto industry for the 21st century, why not us? I think I, I, whether they ever come out with a uh, – I, I would say it's less than a coin flip. I, I would say it's less than 50% chance that they will actually ever build their own car. But um, I think you got to look at it. Just to be a responsible executive at Apple, you got to look at it.
3: Well, uh, though Apple does create mobile devices – so a car would fit the bill. And, thank you. And Apple does have more hordes of gold that would uh, tighten amounts, we could say, that would rival even the greatest of dwarven kings. Um, I, you know, so, and they also have then Mark Newson, who uh, looks like the child of Keanu Reeves and Kevin Spacey put together, and who did create a hideous you're, concept car. You're selling
1: car. me on this, Georgia.
0: You're, just, <laughs> you're knocking it out of the park here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh. of in 1999 called uh, the Ford o21c uh, um So though, I think that Apple probably has a lot of different prototypes in the works that are never going to see the light of day, that they're just testing out. And odds are, well, either we won't see them or they're going to evolve into something else. I think that creating cars takes an immense amount of money and capital. And to go into that endeavor, I think that they're probably tinkering around with the idea because, as Jason said, that would be the intelligent thing for them to do. But Apple doesn't head into ecosystems first when there's a lot of Uh, risk in an emerging market. So I think that they would rather wait, take a look to see how well electric charging stations head up to see if there's a good array for that and then they won't be the first out of the gates just like they weren't for the iPods, they won't be for the iPhones, weren't for tablets or even for watches. They're going to wait to see how everyone else is doing and then they will decide whether or not this would behoove them or not to do it. So if we ever do see an Apple car, I would assume it wouldn't be until a decade or so.
1: Yeah, I I kind of agree that I feel like this is kind of a long odds thing, and I, I don't think that they're necessarily super interested in building a car. I think the problem with building a car is all the other stuff that goes into it, because unlike most of their other products, like... I mean, can you imagine the experience of buying an Apple car? Do you have to go to your Apple dealership? What happens when your Apple car breaks? you have to take it to the Genius Bar when it breaks down? Um, I I just think there's so many problems they get into. Uh, There's regulatory stuff. There's all of this other stuff that's outside of the area of their core competency. So my theory is that they're building a platform, uh, something that goes deeper than CarPlay, something where they can work with... Uh, car makers to integrate stuff from sort of the base level up. And that can include everything from the CarPlay stuff that we've seen right now to things like Jason was describing smart sensors and, you know, safety features, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm wondering if they're looking for a couple good partners that they could really deploy this platform on and really bring their expertise in consumer electronics. But starting, someone pointed out on Twitter the other day that uh, every business that they've entered so far is at least in some ways predicated on the businesses that came before it, with the exception of starting out in the personal computer space back in the 70s. Everything else builds on top of that. Cars would be an entirely different direction, which is a little strange. Uh, And so I feel like uh, this isn't necessarily a, a place that they, a market they want to get into right now because it would be so complicated, but that's not to say that they're not investing in the R and D potentials. And you know, the Apple from 10, 20 years from now is probably a lot different than the one from today, but thank you all. I appreciate your input. Uh, Glenn, do you have a topic for us today?
2: So my topic is this extremely disturbing report that uh, that government shadowy government agencies can do more than we already suspected they could, and what we suspected they could, and what we knew from the Edward Snowden revelations was already pretty horrible. And now we get this report from Kaspersky, which is a and you have to always preface this a Russian based security firm. They do all this analysis and antivirus, and they have corporate clients, so they gather information from all over the world all the time through their corporate relationships. So they actually get their and they've reported some early things like this. What they claim in this huge report about what they call the equation group, which is a very, very thinly veiled term for the NSA, CIA, industrial espionage complex, because the NSA loves equations and algorithms. Uh, they claim this group has figured out uh, over many years, um, uh, there's a number of different kinds of attacks have been engaged in, but the one that's most disturbing is they figured out how to hack the firmware in the a hard drive. So a hard drive, like any piece of electronics that has to do things on its own, has its own tiny operating system or, or BIOS or something like that. It has to be able to boot up and do things and then interact over a computer bus with you know other components, right? So the, the claim is, and it's apparently been backed up by people outside of Kaspersky. I've seen reports in different places where former NSA people and, and other people with expertise agree this is actually true or they knew of it, that, um, that once the, that not only could the the firmware of a hard drive be infected without anyone realizing it, that means it doesn't matter how many times you wipe the machine, you actually literally have to destroy the hard drive or somehow reflash <laughs> the hard drive's firmware because every time you boot up that computer, you could it could be an entirely new operating system you installed on it on that infected hard drive. And it's like, great, that's terrific. Thanks for the new operating system installing Tentacles now. <laughs> so- this is kind of uh, you know a new level of disturbing, and it, it seems plausible to me from my decades in the computer industry. You know, that there's always exploit somewhere, and the fact that you you send commands to a hard drive, the computer sends it through various means and systems and i think maybe only the diversity of hard drives before prevented this from happening at a wide scale earlier with the resources of a nation state behind it as they say you can sort of do anything because you have endless money and time and apparently they did how disturbing is do you think this is plausible first and how disturbing is this
0: i assume that uh if a spy agency wanted to read all of my things they could I just assume that. I just assume that because I think the computers are just not secure enough and that I'm not willing to lead a life that is so uh, protected that I am double secret probationing everything in the hopes that that will make it go past the the, the the eyes of the spies. Uh, so, I, I just sort of assume that, that that's the case and that if you're somebody like Edward Snowden or if you're somebody like Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, you know, you are doing, uh, you're going above and beyond at a level that maybe the rest of us just don't bother and figure that we're probably not the target and we don't care. Um, the, the aspect of the story that really concerns me is the idea that when American spy agencies compromise, especially American Companies and American products, what they're really doing is harming American industry because if you are let's say the Chinese you're going to say well i'm never buying anything from American companies because it's going to have stuff planted in it by the nsa and that uh, and that that bugs me that really bothers me that that uh, although this is about ways to protect us theoretically, I think it actually uh, does us harm too because it really hurts our tech industry to have no trust. Internationally, that there aren 't American spy agencies peering in through everything that you buy that came from america so uh, but I do assume that there's there 's very little privacy, especially for a regular user and I think most regular users probably don 't care but um, it, it does it does bother me the idea that this is uh, happening at this level and that Uh, Our common sense about, oh, well, I'm secure because X may be completely wrong because you think X is true, and it is, but there's this totally other vector that you had no idea about that is actually where it's all happening, and that's the disquieting thing about this story.
3: Wait a second. I'm going to aluminum foil everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Including your burrito.
3: Okay. I've got my hat on now. I feel a little bit safer. Um, I think that the most disturbing thing is is exactly as Jason said, that this is our governments that are doing this to us. It's not just people that are hacking things. And I think that they're first, like they're doing this in the thoughts of privacy and protection, whereas actually what they're doing is they're invading that. And I think that, you know, any law should enact should be helping the smallest of people all the way upwards. And for some people, their private lives can be used against them. I'm lucky that I'm not that important, and will probably <laughs> not be that important that I truly have to worry about it. But it could be simple security systems that are dealing with people's banks information, or their, the mortgage on their home, or the business that they're dealing with. And we've seen huge companies be able to be infiltrated, and to be so. You know, there is no system that is foolproof, and I think that in the end, our government is supposed to be there to make sure that we are always safe, and they put, enact things for us so that we don't have to worry and aluminum foil everything.
1: Uh, I think I take a little bit more of a middling approach on this. On the one hand, like Jason, I agree that, you know, you kind of have to assume that nothing is secure. Um, I was interested to read, uh, I read the whole Kaspersky white paper because I wrote a piece about it over at PopSci, and it's the interesting thing about it is that it, it uses this sort of multi-stage process where it actually tries to determine whether or not a target is interesting before infecting it. So it, is, it shows that there might be at least some cognizance of the fact that we don't want to just blithely infect everybody in the entire world. And the hard from what they can tell, the hard drive firmware thing is is fairly infrequently deployed. Uh, it's disturbing, but it's, I should say, not surprising, I guess, is what, the way I feel
0: about it. Uh, it's halftime. Folks, and that means it's time for our halftime sponsor. Our halftime sponsor this week is Loot Crate, the monthly subscription box service for Epic Geek and Gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items that include license gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one of a kind items, and much more. And how Loot Crate works is you have until the 19th of the month at 9 p.m. Pacific time to subscribe and receive that month's crate. So if you are listening to this right after we record, you've still got time to get the February crate, which is dedicated to the games we love to play. Whether it's tabletop or video, board games, card games, RPGs, and all of that, there's a whole theme there. And if you miss this month's 19th, well, you know what? There's another Loot Crate next month, too, because Loot Crate is like a friend who knows what you love and surprises you with some awesome presents in a little box that comes to your door every month. They ship to nine countries, more than nine countries, in fact. So it's not just a US-only thing. Check it out on their site. And here's what you need to do. Go to lootcrate.com slash clockwise. Enter code clockwise at checkout, and you will save $3 on any new, subscription to Loot Crate. Thank you so much to Loot Crate for being our halftime sponsor and for sending us neat things in a box every month. And now it's my topic and I wanted to take a little I wanted to force you all actually to take a little bit of a contrarian position because I, I was talking about this with Mike Hurley on uh, upgrade this week um, Apple is Apple is doing so well and has been doing so well for so long that it's actually very difficult to figure out what Apple's threats are because the people who say that Apple has problems have generally been wrong for the last 15 years and the people who say Apple's doing fine you could do that for the last 15 years regardless of analysis and you'd be right because Apple's doing kind of unprecedentedly well. So what what I wanted to do is ask each of you, what is the number one threat or a top threat that you see? What's a thing that you think Apple is doing wrong, or that is out there that could harm Apple in some way. Because I feel like we lack people who observe Apple who aren't writing things about how it's doomed on Business Insider. Uh, don't necessarily focus on the negative so much, and I think it's worth talking about. Like, what are the threats to Apple that could make its its life harder in the in the future? And we'll start with Georgia. What do you think? What's a threat for Apple?
3: Well, I think that Apple's greatest threat. Is, is really itself. I think that one thing is to ensure the quality of working staff. And when your company grows, it's more difficult to ensure that everyone working under you still has the same Apple quality of culture and control. And Apple is amazing for design and for the way that people perceive it. And I think that it's very important that they control that. I think the other thing would be complacency. Being at the head of the pack is an amazing place to be, but we thrive under competition. And so you need to keep on trying to innovate and dealing with things that will be successful and not rest on your laurels. Lucky for us, Apple usually does that anyways. And then the other one be over-diversification. Then Apple will be ending up risking becoming a little bit too thin, and if you've ever played a game of risk, that's when you end up having to worry. So I think that they have to ensure that they have their own level of quality that comes to be expected from Apple and start taking care of the little gripes that people are complaining about, such as Apple Maps and Siri. I still can't use you. And we need to have something that's going to be greater than an 80% amount of success with any product that we use with Apple, because at that level, then we start to mistrust it. So Apple, I think, is of itself its own risk.
1: Yeah, uh, Georgia took the words right out of my mouth. Well done. But I will say a flip side of that, which I think is uh, Apple's biggest threat is hubris, um, mm. which is to say, I think they, they run the risk of becoming overconfident and to some extent becoming almost a parody of themselves. Uh, I, I had this thought first when watching the Apple Watch intro last fall, because at times, if you sort of take a step back, it is laughably, uh, it, it is basically as though someone had made a joke video about Apple. And many places have now. I mean, I think I, Ikea did one even about their mm-hmm. like catalog. Um, and so there is a risk that Apple will extend itself too far and sort of, I think, lose touch with what people actually want. Um, and even I'm looking, you know, even in the short term, I'm seeing that as a potential with. The Apple Watch, because I think, you know, if you look at the high end, the Apple Watch edition, which lots of lots of ink has been spilled on, uh, I think there's a risk that it could backfire and end up becoming something that people think is ridiculous and overpriced. And, and Apple has traditionally done very well in those areas and still managed to convince people to, you know, swing for these luxury items. But if they don't manage to capture the you know sort of fashion market that I think they're aiming for, which is a notoriously fickle market, uh, I think that could backfire on them. Uh so I think that the the biggest risk they have in some ways is and I, I was reading that really long uh Jonathan Ive profile in the New Yorker from the other day. And, you know, I mentioned something about, uh, you know, Johnny Ive talking about cars. And one of my uh, Twitter friends sort of remarked he thought it was a little tone deaf for Johnny Ive to be sitting in the back of a Bentley and making fun of a <laughs> Toyota Echo. And I was like, yeah, that is a real risk when you get to that point where you are, you know, so doing so well that you've kind of lost touch with the common man in sort of political parlance, you know, not knowing what the price of a gallon of milk is. <laughs> uh, and so I think that's that's a big risk, and, and I would hope that they manage to avoid it and stay grounded, um, but I think it is a, a threat to them.
2: Well, I'm concerned that Apple could become Amazon that, so I, I think I agree with both of you I think that Apple's its own biggest threat in that if it believes uh, that it can do no wrong and I mean I think the company continuously challenges itself but I think it's forgotten to challenge itself about the things that it's not doing well it only challenges itself on the things it does do well so hey here's an iPhone it's doing great let's kill our babies and make a different one let's kill the you know the iPod let's do all these things right they're very good uh, at destroying the parts of their business that do poorly and I'm thinking like imagine if Apple were an energy company I was just thinking about this this morning, is is what if they were an energy company, what would they be doing today? They'd have nuclear fusion, right? Because they'd be like, okay, this electricity thing, gas-powered turbines and coal, that's great, but what's the next? Well, that's going to be solar. And then while they're in solar, like, here's the next next cool thing, Mr. Fusion, right? That is what energy would be today if you had a company like Apple driving it instead of these incumbent plotting ones that were content to rest on the margins and and monopolies that they had. So I worry, I look at the fast company profile of uh, what went wrong with the Fire Phone at Amazon and how basically Jeff Bezos, who is an incredibly intelligent person... Uh, developed a culture underneath him and kind of walled it off that let him make a Homer car of a phone. Like, I want to have something cool. Okay, Mr. Bezos, let's put 3D. Great. All right, you spent a year on that. Let's scrap it and make a new system to do it. And we're not seeing that at Apple yet, but I feel like they have whole neglected lines of business that don't get the you know the laser beam eye at Apple uh, that they do on the things they like the most. So the watch, they're, they're stretched thin. Um, you know, To make the Doctor Who quote, Johnny Ives in that article, it's like, doesn't he look tired. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit of, it's, it's like, there is something, I mean, those executives are stretched hard. Apple still treats itself and its employees a bit like a startup and they can't get, you know, aperture improved. They can't get, uh, you know, photos. It's not delayed, but photos wasn't ready at the introduction of everything else. That feels like it came late. Like, you know, my article on my blog that got so much uh, traffic and discussion, much more than I expected with all the frustrations with Yosemite and iOS 8 about things that never worked, things that were added and don't work. The fit and finish isn't there On the hardware side, yes. So I do think Apple is its own biggest threat, and I worry that the better they do in new markets, the more they will ignore the things that are the core thing, and then eventually wind up losing that loyalty from the bottom that's helped be a mainstay, even as they've acquired new customers.
0: You guys, uh, Those are all great answers. I would say what we talked about about the car still stands, which is Apple needs to be constantly looking, as Google, I believe, is for what the next disruptive thing is, and saying, we've got lots of money right now, and lots of expertise, and lots of momentum, so we need to be trying to actively find places where somebody new could come in with out of the blue technology and mess up our business and ruin it and uh, invest in those areas. And that's why I think the car thing is probably happening. And that's why I think Google does the self-driving cars for the same reason. And the robotics stuff is they're using their money to try and protect against what they've seen happen in the tech industry time and again, which is some new product category comes in out of the blue and blows them away. So uh, I think that's the other thing is just that, that how do you predict that? I don't know. You just got to be smart and play, place your bets. Uh, that But that was a great discussion. We have time for one more Topic.
3: So, I'd like to talk about Samsung, which is happening to be roasted in the media over its smart <laughs> televisions, which may be listening to every intimate little conversation that you want to have in private in your living room or not. But, really, is this something that we should worry about? Is our technology always listening to us?
0: Yes. Done. <laughs> no. uh, so I, this I was heard so that, Dan. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: knew you were going to say that. This was
1: a funny story to me as I read it, because on the one hand, yeah... The big problem with Samsung's lack of transparency, I think. They did say, you know, conversations might be collected and potentially shared with a third party, which I think they meant was whoever's doing the speech processing because this is a feature of the TV is that it responds to voice commands. And if you're going to respond to voice commands, you need to, you know, be able to recognize sounds. You can't do that without listening to things. That said, you have to do that in a careful manner so that you're not collecting things that aren't relevant. Um, I think it's also funny that people got worked up about this because I was like, well, you know, if you're using, you know, an iPhone, with Hey, Hey Siri activated or something like that, that too has to be listening to a certain extent and that goes everywhere with you, including into your bedroom. So, you know, think a little bit about that. Um, But Apple, for its part, tries to be a lot more clear about what information is collected, how it's used, how it's stored, how it's transmitted, all of those things. Uh, And that's really the important message, I think, to take away here is that if you want to use the clever, nifty features that people come up with, there's always an element of sacrifice when it comes to security. There's a security versus convenience angle. Um, But you also want to make sure that your information is being treated with the utmost respect and security that it deserves. So I think it ends up being a choice that every consumer has to make to say okay do I want do I am I willing to accept the potential risks with this feature Uh, you know being able to weigh how serious they are in exchange for the convenience that this feature will bring me because in that same line of things Samsung also has gesture control on TV and guess what that means it's going to need to look at things through a camera and that might happen even when your TV is just sitting off in the corner there because if you have a gesture to turn it on it's got to be able to detect that. Um so uh, you know there 's always a balance and always a give and take there and I think that 's the important thing and,
2: and it 's important for companies to be clear about what they 're collecting and how it 's being done. I wrote a story for uh, MIT Technology Review recently about the the treacherous internet of things and the the issue is exactly that is that Samsung should know better they should they could develop a way. To interpret voice commands over, you know, into the cloud using their systems that would anonymize where it came from and be able to provide a return path, but 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 they could build a system that could guarantee a little more privacy. Maybe they did, and their contract states it more poorly. Um, there's plenty of research about being able to both anonymize data for processing uh, so that no central source would be able to. Pinpoint it without losing you know the return path to it or identifying people uniquely, uh, the big thing right now is you have uh, the estimate is there 's about ten billion Internet of Things items today, and that includes stuff I think that you know like nest and dropcam and and other uh, TVs and so forth that uh, we don 't necessarily think of as Internet of Things. We think of that as being a new category, but uh, I think as the Gartner group estimates in just a few years we 'll have fifty to sixty billion devices that are in our homes and offices. there is no comprehensive industry-wide plan or set of uh, specifications to ensure that they guarantee both security and privacy. So uh, so I think the Internet of Things is going to infest our homes and watch everything we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: I think the best way to think of it is if things are happening on device and are not being transmitted you know, over the Internet somewhere, I feel a lot better about it. I feel a lot better about a a device that is waiting for a trigger word and it only is listening for that trigger word. and until it hears that, it you know it's doing nothing. and when when it is processing your words, it's trying to do it you know locally and not sending it over the internet. The idea that my audio may just be streaming from my house to the internet, that is the problem. I have a drop cam that you know a little security cam in my house. I only ever plug it in when I'm on vacation. Um, I, I don't leave it on. I, I disconnect it when we're home because it streams that video back to one of their servers, and I am not interested in having a device staring at me and recording everything I do. <laughs> it, it just for no, no. Stop doing podcasts, Jason. Seriously, it, it, it is, it is, it is. So, so yeah, this is a, this is a big issue. But I think uh, keeping things out of the cloud and at, and on local devices would help a lot. And having having standards, like Glenn said, uh, that we all kind of can make some assumptions about what it's doing and when it's doing that everybody they're going to need to communicate that to consumers or this is going to be a huge issue
3: I think that the scariest thing is how little people know about how their technology works. I think that it's shocking that they're shocked by this in the first place. Because, you know, I think, as Dan had said, we're giving away our information in all kinds of technology that we're using. Our GPS is tracking our location where we are also all the time. I think, though, that I'm also a little bit worried by how complacent we are becoming with giving away our privacy. And, you know, every time I actually read privacy policies, even for like little tiny games when i click and say accept and it's scary to me i think that probably for samsung's tv it is slightly unwarranted which, which pains me to say but they do have two mics one it's tr- Of which is tracking locally and it handles just the basic voice commands and then there's another that is a mic that's on your remote control which is actually triggered um, when you know to the second mic and that deals with the open controls that are going out to the cloud and recording everything else that you're saying so perhaps in this case it is not something that we should be you know maybe we still should be aluminum foiling anything anyways (laughs) but probably not as much in this case as what they got but again I think that we need to educate people a little bit better about how technology works and not be complacent with the way that we deal with our privacy.
1: And I think that is our last topic. Without further ado, I would like to thank Glenn Fleischman for being here. Thank you, Glenn. A delight as always. And George Dow. Thank you so much
0: for coming back.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Dan, that's it. It is the end. Yep. And to everybody out there, watch what you say and keep watching the clock. We'll see you next week.
3: Bye.